So we're going to start a segment now. Uh, and, um, essentially, it's called How to Teach from Mindfulness or Teaching from Presence. And we'll be doing s- several different components to it over the course of the afternoon. The first is I'll talk about it and let you know what I'm talking about. And then we'll do some exercises where we explore personally what this thing actually means. And we'll be using some mindful speaking and listening and mindful dyads and just looking at this issue of how do I teach from a place of presence or mindfulness. And then later on today we'll be in a very, I hope, fun, no pressure way practicing teaching, but but don't take it too seriously. It's not, you're not getting graded no performance, anything. It's just for fun and to, to try to work with the principles we'll be learning, learning here today. The, this topic, I think, is really, really important um, in the field of mindfulness and education and being someone, and, and for teachers who are interested in the transmission, the translation, the facilitation and sharing of mindfulness what is important to know is that what we teach, the content of what we teach is important, of course. And that is why we're giving you lots of content pieces and I hope you're also exploring them, creating them yourselves and getting them from all all the content that's out there. There's quite a bit. And we'll give you a resource list towards the end of the retreat and so forth. So content is important, but how we teach is even more important from a mindfulness perspective. And perhaps, I don't know enough, I've never been a school teacher, so I can't say that, I can't say that with any expertise, but maybe that's true, whatever we teach. So what I'm gonna ask as I talk about this is that as you listen to me, that you're also paying attention to yourself. That it's possible to do uh, mindful listening to me, and I'll, so you're mindfully listening to me, attuning into your body, and also um, you're comprehending everything I'm saying. So, as if everybody just right now notice your body seated here, just notice your body. Don't shift your posture. Don't do anything, but notice your body. You might notice your legs or your back or just something that's obvious to you in your body. Now, as you're doing that, are you also able to understand me and comprehend everything I'm saying? Yes, right? This is what I like to call mindful multitasking, right? We can listen and comprehend, but still be somewhat tuned into ourselves because we're really going to be practicing this art of being in a place of presence, mindfulness, connectedness. Ideally, well, as we live our lives, so it's not just for teaching, but as we lead, as we lead our lives, on retreat here, which is what we're cultivating in every moment. So on retreat, when we go back into our lives, and then specifically, of course, as we go into classrooms or work with students in whatever capacity we do. So what is presence? What is presence? Is it mindfulness? We know the concept of, say, stage presence, right? Is it the same thing? Is it, raise your hand if you have an idea of what presence is. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna ask, sorry, asking you to shout out what you thought presence was. Anyone? Being in the now. Being in the now, uh-huh. Conscious awareness. 
conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. Embodiment. Awareness of present moment experience. Awareness of present moment experience. Receptivity. Receptivity. Authenticity. Authenticity. Yeah. I think, uh, sorry, was there more? I think all of these are true. I don't think there is, I don't think if you looked in the dictionary it would say this is what presence is. I think presence actually is a very lived, felt experience that is connected to embodiment and authenticity and being in the now. And I want to distinguish it slightly from mindfulness because to me, mindfulness is the tool that helps us connect with a place of presence or embodiment. It's really, when we hit presence, we're living it. We're walking the talk. We're living in, in, in a connected, embodied state of mindfulness. Not that it's happening all the time or by any stretch of the imagination, but when, you, when you're feeling really in, connected to presence, there's something that just kind of settles in you and you're really fully there. You're fully authentic, fully showing up for yourself and the other. And mindfulness, and this is just my understanding of it, mindfulness is the tool that helps us get there. Mindfulness teaches us that moment-to-moment awareness, that paying attention, Richard was saying, Uh, the not being on automatic pilot, non-distractedness. These are all synonymous with mindfulness. Now, as I talk about this, you may think, well, I sort of get mindfulness, but I don't really get presence at all. So the truth is, now I'm just going to say, it's also, it's fine if what makes sense to you is mindfulness. They're, They're so closely related and and as I talk about it, you'll be able to apply this to just the general sense of being mindful as you are in this moment, being paying attention to present moment experiences on a moment-to-moment basis. So, it's the, so you see how they're closely intertwined? I'm not confusing you, am I? No, okay. Presence, what also is interesting about presence and, and oh, to say this, I don't use the language of presence at all when I teach in a secular context. I don't even, well, so I would always, I always say mindfulness. I think mindfulness is way more accessible and understandable, whereas presence, it's a little bit more complex. And it takes, some more, it takes more of an embodied knowing to even get to that. So I would teach, I wouldn't teach kids, okay, now we're going to do presence class. Mindfulness class seems to make more sense. So just to let you know that. Presence is unique to each of us. So what's interesting about presence is that it has different qualities dependent upon the person. So that we can actually, as you gain some skill, you can begin to discriminate it in people. And you can see when somebody is teaching that there's a certain kind of presence. It doesn't matter what they're teaching. They could be teaching math. But let's say they have some qualities of clarity and wisdom and kindness. And their presence is kind of showing up. This embodied way of being is showing up as they teach. And some of those qualities might be enthusiasm, or warmth, or gentleness, or sweetness, or joy. So even if you were to say, I'm going to use you, Jason, as an example for a moment. When you heard Jason teach this morning, 
there were certain qualities that you sensed in him that were very, very obvious, such as humor, right? You could really feel his humor coming through and it was very natural. And that is part of Jason's presence. It's a quality of presence that he has to him. Humor and kindness, you could sense his kindness, his warmth. So there's a lot, sorry, I'm just giving him lots of compliments here. <laughs> so, but, but you, as I say this, it resounds with you for the most part, right? You, you, you go, yeah, I, see, I feel that in him. So you can actually sense that in another person and you can sense it in yourself. So you can sense, sort of, and it's harder to do in yourself because most of us don't want to even think about what we're, what's positive about our teaching. You know, we're, we're, what Richard was talking about with a lot of self-criticism, self-judgment, is, is kind of standard for most people. But you can really begin to settle into it, trust and sink into your own sense of presence, and begin to discriminate what it's like. Now, as, simple, as I said, so I, I want to bring mindfulness in because in case presence isn't resonating with you, I want to bring mindfulness in. So another way of talking about this is, is when we're presenting or teaching, or be, um, are we spacing out or are we present? Okay, so that's one, that's one way to, to, to start to notice this. Um, if you're present, there's more presence. Duh, right? So if you're spacing out, you're not there. Are you, if you're on automatic pilot, you're not there. If you're um, not showing up for yourself, not connected for yourself, you're not really there. And by the way, this happens all the time because most people go in and out of being connected and non-connected all the time. If you're hooked, you're usually not connected to your mindfulness or your presence. And what I mean by that is you get triggered by something, something upsets you and you get lost in some mm, mental activity, thought, fear, worry, anger, irritation, and you just totally lose that capacity to show up for your students or for yourself. So those are some things, for those of you who the presence concept is feeling a little bit unclear, um, just using the concept of not spacing out, be, not being on automatic pilot, being connected to yourself, and not getting hooked. Those are ways of thinking about it. And I do want to acknowledge that as you teach, I'm guessing you go in and out of that place of authenticity, that place of connectedness, and that when things get difficult, it's harder. So when you have the stress of deadlines, of curriculum you have to teach, of tests that you have to prepare students for, all of that, you're just, sometimes we just have to go on automatic pilot. There's no way that I can be present because I've got to do this and this and this. And the more busy we are, usually the harder it is to be connected to ourselves. One of my um, dear friends many years ago was going through a period in his life where he felt like he just had so much going on, he couldn't believe it. And he didn't know how he was gonna have, be present and show up for his life. And so he made a decision that with all the, you know, 20 things he was doing, it was going to be for him like he was just entering a room and meeting what was there. And that's what he called it. He just, he just would go into the room, show up, meet what was there, and then he'd exit and go into the next room and meet what was there and into the next room like that. And it was very helpful to hear that. So for those of you who are busy, anybody busy here? <laughs> no, no. Um, 
The idea of, it's kind of like starting being mindful in each moment anew, showing up with your presence, with your full authenticity and who you are as you uh, meet each new challenge. So this is very relevant as we teach, as we, um, as we particularly, as we begin to teach mindfulness, as I was, share, as I was sharing. It's also this concept of presence and mindfulness itself is also the reason why people can't just randomly teach other people mindfulness. It's not a tool that you can learn in three hours. It just isn't. You can, oh, you can understand it conceptually. You can read all the books that you want. But until it's in you, until you begin to embody it and live from it, it's all just theory. And you still may be able to teach a little bit, but, it, um, but what really can make the impression is when you're living it, when you're being it. And this is not to be discouraging to the new people who are here because you're getting a really good influx of it this week and you're really learning to practice it. And then the encouragement, of course, when you leave is to keep going with it. The more you practice, the more natural it will become. So the question is, how is this presence cultivated? And the first way it's, is through a regular practice of mindfulness. Going on retreat having it be part of your life, something that you aspire to or place as really important in your life. Um, having a daily meditation practice and also practicing mindfulness in daily life. And we'll talk a lot about that, but just a few things I'll say. We'll talk about that sort of towards the end, but a couple of things like you can commit to making one activity in your day a mindful activity. You know, so every time you brush your teeth, you brush your teeth with awareness. You listen to the sounds. You feel the sound of your, the sound of the toothbrush, the feeling on your teeth. This can be a way to cultivate mindfulness because if you do it every day with an activity you do every day, it's going to be very, a powerful reminder. So when my daughter was born, I decided, well, okay, so, that, so that's one, picking an, an actual activity. A second one is picking just a moment of something that you do repetitively and do it mindfully and do it again and again. So for instance, every time you pick up your keys, you remember to be mindful. Every time you walk through a door, you press your hand and you're mindful. And what I mean by that, for those who are newer, you might notice the sensations of your hand pressing on the door, just really feeling your body present and then, and then go on. Then you don't have to be mindful any more than that. Although it might bleed into other things. So an example I was about to say, when my daughter was born, I decided that every time I changed her diaper, it wasn't like I was gonna be mindful the entire thing, because that just seemed too complicated. <laughs> but what I decided to do was every time I put a diaper in the diaper bin, I would be mindful. So I would, so I would change her and then I would reach and expand and open and drop and I would feel the sensations of my hands and arms and drop it in. And it was just my moment of mindfulness. And especially when she was little, I did it many, many times a day, right? So that allowed mindfulness to be part of my daily life. And it began to create more spaces of presence in my life. Because suddenly, sometimes I would remember to be mindful before I dropped the diaper in 
or after I drop the diaper in. There's also this wonderful acronym that many of you know, but I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll offer it here, which is a way of reminding to yourself to be mindful in the midst of daily life. And that acronym is STOP. And I think some of you know it. So it stands for STOP, TAKE A BREATH, OBSERVE, AND PROCEED. So you're in the midst of your day and suddenly you just realize, God, I wish I was mindful. All right, stop. You don't have to freeze. No. But you can stop, you can take a breath and then observe what's happening internally or externally. You can do that for three seconds. It doesn't have to be very long. You might notice your body, you might notice your breath, you might notice a sound. And then proceed, you go back into life. And so at some point on the retreat, maybe we'll practice this, but I'll tell you, for all the mindfulness I've been teaching in the last six years or so, um, stop is a big hit. And I actually took it from Jason, I think. (laughs) But I think he got it from MBSR. Yeah, MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, uh, came up with this acronym. We shared it. We shared it, yes. So... So the third thing for cultivating the presence, so one is having a daily practice, the second is trying to embody it in life more and more, and there are different ways and ways and reminders, things people do, like the phone rings and you take a breath, program be mindful into your iPhone, you know, I don't know, whatever you want to do, but ways of remembering to be mindful, which starts to contribute to a more sense of presence and embodiment and showing up. The third is an examination, really, of our life, looking at our life and saying, wow, what's contributing to more, more presence and what's taking me away from it? And not that it's easy to shift our life, I'm not suggesting that, but there might be something that's causing you to be so incredibly busy and distracted that you just don't have a moment to yourself. So just examining the levels of busyness. I would say for me, the one thing that gets me really in trouble is when I get too busy. It's hard to be mindful in the midst of life when I get too busy. So now as we've cultivated, as we've cultivated the mindfulness and presence, we can have it begin to emerge in our teaching. And there's a couple of things you can do. I want to give you some tools and suggestions. One is around actually inviting it in before you teach. And that might be, um, for everybody, it's really personal. And it's sort of just maybe taking a moment before you go to teach. Let's say you're going to teach mindfulness and you take a moment to meditate and just connect with it, connect with something greater than yourself. Because in some ways, that's what it, it can feel like. Presence can, when you're teaching from a place of presence, it can really feel like you're connected to something. It's almost like I get out of the way and all this other stuff comes forth. And you don't even know. I mean, I bet you've had the experience, no matter what you're teaching, when you surprise yourself. And suddenly, all these things you didn't know you knew, this wisdom emerges. And that's because you're connected, that you're connected to something greater, in a sense. So, um, so inviting it in, just reflecting on it before you teach. 
The second is while you're teaching and while you're talking, whatever the content is, every now and then remembering to check in with it. So settling back, reminding yourself to take a breath, sensing your body, practicing a little stop. So anything, and people will develop different ways. One of the things that I do is I just sort of sense my stomach area. Just, it allows me to relax. I breathe, and then I keep going. Now as I'm asking this, has anybody remembered to pay attention to their body during this talk, being mindful? Raise your hand if you've had some awareness. All right, great, awesome, okay. So let's all settle back into our mindfulness for like three seconds. Just take a moment to really feel our bodies present. And that's it. That may be all you need to do in the midst of a class, just to stop and breathe. And by the way, I'm realizing as I'm talking, this goes for if you're teaching mindfulness, but it also goes for if you're teaching whatever it is that you teach and you want to bring mindfulness into yourself and your life as you're teaching. So you can be teaching math and suddenly remember to take a mindful breath. Um, The second thing to notice is what's called, or sorry, this is number three, my third point, what's called presence disruptors. So you could be going really strong, feeling really connected to what you're teaching, tuned in, authentic, and then something happens that sort of sends you off. Some kid does something that pisses you off, (laughs) and the next thing you know, you're just caught in your story, and what happened? So it's usually like, or okay, so it could be something somebody else does, or it could be something that you do. So for instance, you're teaching and suddenly a judgment pops into your head and you think, wow, I shouldn't have said that that way, that was stupid. And then that's it. Your mind then just gets into a whole cycle of feeling bad about yourself and it just gets worse or worse or wor- and worse. It's kind of like, from a Dharma perspective, we can think of it as this is when the ego steps in. You know, the ego gets triggered. Somebody does something external or I do it to myself internally and I'm triggered and then my mindfulness is just out the window. It's when we move from, remember I was talking about the sense of almost like something greater coming through us to I'm teaching and I'm really important and I have to figure this out and that, you know, it's, it's that shift from that spaciousness to the contractedness. So it's, and it's very important to notice this. So one of the ones for me, I'll give you an example. When I first started teaching, and I'd be teaching in like a big Dharma hall like this, and um, somebody would walk out because who knows why? They'd have to go to the bathroom, right? So they just walk out, and I'd be teaching, and I'd feel totally connected and peaceful and present, and then and present, and then some, someone would walk out, and then my mind would go, oh, "Why'd they walk out?" They left. What did I do? I did something. And so meanwhile, the other 99 people were all fine, enjoying. And they were probably not walking out because they hated it, or maybe they were. I don't know. Who cares? But, but it, I could see my reactivity that would happen, and it would disrupt my presence. It would throw me off. And it would take a while for me to, to recapture my ability to come back into myself. Now, 
also keep in mind that this is something one develops over time. It takes a long time. It's not like an easy thing that you do. So I had to work with it over years and years. Um, some of you may know about the neuroscience of something they call, they call Velcro and Teflon mind. Do you know this? When something is negative, your mind sticks to it like Velcro. <laughs> when it's positive, it comes off like Teflon. <laughs> And this is what we do. We get, we, so you could, you could have a whole room of smiling people and one person is frowning and your mind, no, that's the only one you notice, right? Or the one kid, the one kid that looks really unhappy. So what's really important is to notice when feelings of unworthiness come up, to start to pay attention to what's your particular trigger. It could be a person. It could be an, an action that happens. It could be an internal thing. And to learn, and the most important part of this is to settle back into yourself and cu- just come back. So it's, it's really about, um, it, well, in psychological terms, it's called, and it's not about this, but they call this rupture and repair. And it's often, rela- it's talking about relationships, usually, when, we, when we, our relationship is ruptured. It's not that the rupture is the problem. What it, what's most important is that the relationship then gets, if, if that rupture gets repaired. So we're going to have tons and tons and tons of ruptures. We're going to make tons and tons of mistakes as we teach, as we share mindfulness, as we teach whatever we teach. But what's important is that we then have the willingness and humility and just, just willingness to go there, to repair, and trust that you can repair it. So when, when you get triggered or hooked, then you just kind of settle back and relax and let the natural mindfulness that's already there come back in. After a while, over time, it becomes familiar to you. The sense of embodied, authentic teaching becomes so familiar to you, it's like an old friend. It's like, oh yeah, there you are. Hey, come on back. You walked away for a while, but you're back again. It's, it becomes more of an embodiment. It becomes who you are as you teach. And my experience is, is that it comes and goes that it depends on your life. If you've had a really chaotic week and you're teaching, you're gonna show up feeling frazzled and that's just the way it is. Um, and sometimes it's not present, sometimes it is present, sometimes it feels not so strong. I mean, there's all different qualities that can happen connected to it. Sometimes you can kind of fake it, fake it till it's real. But sometimes it's, um, well, I would just say this, the job, your job is to love and forgive yourself for wherever you are as you're teaching. That you may have, be feeling present and authentic and connected. Can you just be, be with that and trust that? You may be feeling like a fraud, exhausted, frazzled. Can you love yourself in spite of this and forgive yourself and have mindfulness that's big enough to hold that too? So in that way, the act of teaching becomes an act of love and an act of practice. And ultimately, the sharing of mindfulness is one of the deepest ways in which we practice.
So that's my talk. Yeah, uh-huh. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.